You know, it's completely, completely dependent on you to help me get done quickly this evening, all right? Uh, but you watch that video and you say, man, we're just barely meeting you, but you have a part in that ministry. You know, the pastor was telling me how you took up an offering and sent it with him for the church planners conference, and your church has already sent money ahead and, uh, and invested in the Lord's work on the reservation. So thank you for doing that. And we'll have a letter sent to you with pictures of things that have been done on the building there to be able to, to help reach more people. And that's what it's all about. But thank you for your giving to the church planners as well as your missions. And you just got to keep doing it. And by the way, you got to do more. You, you say, well, what, we do a lot. Can I tell you this? God's interested in us growing. If you ever put the car in neutral when you're going uphill, guess what's going to happen? You're going to slide backwards. There is, no, there is no putting it in neutral when it comes to the Christian life. God wants us to grow and do more than we've ever done. Amen? All right. Uh, Hebrews 11, verses 29 through 31. And uh, you say, man, it's been a long day. We've been in the snow. It's Sunday night. Uh, you heard what I said this morning, and it still stands. I'm not going to suffer our stinking flesh to rob us of an opportunity to hear the Word of God. It's just your flesh that wants to go to sleep. Amen? It's just your flesh that thinks it's too high, tired to listen to preaching. But I promise you, by the time I'm done preaching, and the time it took to make that presentation, it won't be as long as some cartoons you've watched. Amen? So uh, we can lock it in. Amen? Put that cartoon brain aside, and let's allow our spirit to feast on the Word of God tonight. Amen? You in it with me? We'll do that together. It'll be good. So let's look at Hebrews 11 verses 29 through 31. Let me let you do this. Stand together out of love and respect for the reading of God's holy word. Do like we did this morning. Get a breath of fresh oxygen. Let it get to your brain because you got to have your brain turned on when you're reading your Bible. Amen. Got to be paying attention. And if you're sleeping tonight, you know, I know what I'll do on this. This is going to help you. You ready? Look at the person next to you. Go ahead. Look at them. Look at them. Person right next to you. Say, I sure am glad. Mm -hmm. I don't look like you. Amen? All right. Good, good. So they might slap you for saying that, but anyway, it'll, it'll help kind of keep you uh, locked in and turn our brains on. You don't ever want to just go through the motions, folks. I don't want to waste time. God has given us to, I didn't come from Arizona just to tickle your ears. I want to get something accomplished, amen? We've only got so much time in this life to do something for God. So let Him do something with what we're going to preach tonight, what we're considering from His Word. Hebrews chapter 11, look at verses 29 through 31. Oh, we could preach so much in this passage, and you know what this is. It's the great hall of faith. And I want to look at one individual in particular. I'd like to look at this woman named Rahab and her her place in the great hall of faith. Look what the Bible says here. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians assaying to do were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not, when she had received the spies with peace. By the way, there are only two categories of people with God. Those that believe and those that believe not. Now I'm not going to preach this tonight, but there's a great outline here on the canceling power of faith. 
You know what faith did in the life of Rahab? It canceled out her past. Didn't matter what had happened in the past because now she's hanging with a new crowd. It canceled out her perishing. She would have perished. She would have died with all the rest of the people in Jericho. But she's not perishing anymore because she put her faith and trust in the God of Israel. And then her faith, it canceled out her partnerships. Now she's hanging with the spies. She's hanging with God's people. And that's what faith does. It puts you in a new crowd. Amen? That's exactly what it's accomplishing in Rahab's life. But Rahab, you'll see here in this passage, she's known as a harlot. Now isn't that interesting? She's known as a harlot. And so I've read a lot of commentators and I've heard preachers and it seems like some just really struggle with the fact that a harlot is in the great hall of faith. That a harlot in Matthew chapter 1 is in the lineage of Christ. And so some call her an innkeeper. I know you're standing. Amen. So am I. I'm going to keep you there just for a little while, okay? Just do this, amen? Do the Navajo stomp dance right in your place if, if you need to relax and rest the bones in those toes. Uh, but th- some have a hard time with this. They say, you know what? She doesn't quite fit in in this group. What's a harlot doing in the great hall of faith? It just seems like it doesn't fit. Can I tell you, she's not an innkeeper. I just believe that when my Bible says she's a harlot, that you know what it means? She's a harlot. The word harlot uh, means to commit adultery. The New Testament Greek word for harlot used right here comes from the uh, the word porne, which is the root from which we derive our English word for pornography. In an old English word, they might have called her a strumpet. Hey, in Bible language, in the book of Proverbs, she would have been known as the strange woman. And so some look and they say she doesn't fit in. Well, look at the crowd she's hanging with. So far we've seen princes and we've seen prime ministers. We've seen prophets and we've seen patriarchs. We've seen parents and now we see a prostitute. We've seen shepherds and we've seen soldiers. We've seen statesmen and now we see a strumpet. Uh, So far we've seen a brave woman. We've seen a barren woman. And now is introduced to us this brazen woman. Some would say she just doesn't belong. But I'm telling you friend, I think that God knew what he was doing and she's right where she belongs. Why? Because that's what faith does. It takes you from the dunghill and it puts your feet on a solid rock. Hey, her house was marked, uh, would have been marked with a scarlet letter, but now because of Christ, or because of God, it's marked by a scarlet thread hanging from the window. Hey, it would have been marked by sensuality, but now that house, it's a house of safety for anyone that's inside. I'm telling you, she's right where God intends her to be. Some would say her faith doesn't measure up. You doing all right? Stop dancing, all right? It's Sunday night. I'm not going to let you fall asleep even if you want to, Amen. Some would say her faith is less heroic than others. I disagree. In fact, I think that her faith, uh, compared with some of her companions in this passage, might just be a little more heroic. You say, why? Because hers operated off of less revelation than many that are mentioned in this passage. I think about Abel. He had a pattern in his parents uh, uh, that lived for God. Noah had a prophecy from Enoch. Abraham had a promise from the Lord. Sarah had a partner named Abraham that wanted to serve God. At Rahab, had none of these things and yet still she had faith to serve God. 
I think we could make some comparisons. You doing alright? We could make some comparisons between she and the people we find in this passage. Because like Abel, she recognized that she was worthy of death. Like Enoch, by faith, she escaped death. Like Noah, by faith, she prepared an ark to the saving of her household. Like Abraham, she went out not knowing whence she went. Like Sarah, by faith, she had strength to conceive. I don't see any children showing up in her life until after she married Salmon. Uh, not only that, but like uh, uh, like Isaac, she had understanding of things to come. Like Jacob, she blessed two men in an unusual way. Remember what Jacob did with the sons of Joseph uh, when he crossed things up? I promise you, if you'd ask these spies where God's deliverance was coming from, they wouldn't have pointed to the harlot's house, and yet that's where it came from. Like Joseph, she had faith to believe that God had given the land of Canaan to the children of Israel. Like Moses' parents, she hid someone and was not afraid of the king's commandment. Like Moses, she chose the people of God over the pleasures of sin for a season. Like Moses, she forsook the land of her childhood, not fearing the wrath of the king. Like Moses, she endured as seeing him who is invisible. And like Moses, she kept her own Passover by trusting in a crimson line. I think God knew what he was doing. I think she's right where she belongs. But there's something startling here. We're going to talk about it. And I am going to let you be seated for the rest of it. Heavenly Father, take this message as your people find their seat. May our hearts and minds be locked in. There's something you want to give us tonight from this dear woman in Ray, named Rahab. Oh, help us not to miss it in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. You know, we've spent some time tonight discussing the virtue of the faith of this woman Rahab. But I find it unfair and I find it unkind that after all this woman has done and the stand she's taken for God, look at what she's called in verse number 31. I, I notice that she's wearing a label. She's been labeled by her past life. The Bible says, by faith, the harlot Rahab. Do you know what it's like to live with a label? Do you know what it's like? Maybe some of you, you know what it's like to get saved and then the people you used to run with, they, they haven't kept up with your life. They don't know you're a Christian now. They don't know that you don't do the same things that you used to do. And maybe you run into them someplace and they say, Hey, I remember you. Boy, you could really put them back. Boy, you could really drink. Boy, you could really fight. Well, I remember what you did, and I remember what you said. And have you ever run into somebody that remembers who you used to be, and maybe there was just a little bit of a blush on your face and said, Man, that's, I know that's who I was, but that's not who I am anymore. And maybe you look to God and you say, God, when will you deliver me from this label? You've changed me. But it still seems that people see me for what I used to be. Do you know what it's like to be labeled? If you know what it's like, you're not alone. I started looking through the Bible and I found a lot of people that wear labels. I found a girl. Hey, listen, if you were looking for Rahab in the camp of the Israelites, you know how you'd find her? You'd say, I'm looking for Rahab. And they'd say, which Rahab? You know, Rahab the harlot. It'd be the label she was identified by. But I'm thinking about another woman tonight. Her name's Ruth. You say, Ruth, which Ruth? You know, the Moabitess. All through, five times when she's introduced in the book of Ruth, she's called Ruth, one of the women of Moab. Ruth the Moabitess. Ruth the Moabitess damsel. And then in Ruth 2.21 and 4.5 and 4.10, she's Ruth the Moabitess. I mean, don't you think she would have liked to have slipped that label? 
and not been associated with those wicked people anymore? Don't you think that uh, she might have said, come on, guys, I did say to Naomi, your God's going to be my God. Your people are going to be my people. I'd like to be known in my association with Boaz. I'd like to be known in my association with God's people. And yet still, she's Ruth the Moabitess. I'm thinking about another lady that's got a label. Her name's Abigail. You say, which Abigail? You know, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. Did you know that after she married David, four times she's called Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. You think she enjoyed that? I think she, I think when folks called her that, she might have said, quit calling me that. I'd like to be associated with David. I'm not married to that son of Belial. I don't want to be associated with that churlish man. And yet time again, she's called Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. I'm thinking about another man. His name's Matthew. You say, which Matthew? You know, the publican. When he's named in Matthew chapter 10 with all the other disciples, he's called Matthew the publican. Don't you think he would have liked to have just torn off that label? Don't you think he would have liked to have been Matthew the disciple? Matthew the apostle? Matthew the author of the gospel of Matthew? And yet, no, he is Matthew the publican. I'm thinking about another labeled man. His name's Simon. You say, which Simon? You know, Simon the leper. You get to reading over there in Matthew chapter 14, 3. The Bible says that Jesus sat at meat in the house of Simon the leper. But you know what's interesting? Jesus is sitting at meeting there and you'll find out Simon's in the house. Know what that means? Simon ain't a leper anymore if he's in the house. Could you imagine? Hey, Simon the leper, bring over a little bit more meat. Come on, guys, quit that. I'm not a leper anymore. I've been healed. I'm not a leper. And yet he wore that label, didn't he? Hey, I'm thinking about another man. His name's Nicodemus. You say, which one? You know the one that twice in the book of John was called the one that came to Jesus. What? By night. It seems like a cowardly thing to be known as a secret disciple. It seems to be a cowardly thing to come to Jesus by night. I bet he'd like to tear that label off, don't you? I'm thinking about another labeled man. His name is Thomas. Now the Bible doesn't give him a label, but you and I do. What do we call him? His name's Thomas. We label him Doubting Thomas. You know, I think he's going to have a word to say with you and I when we get to heaven. I think he's going to say, come on. After all, I did give you a great passage on the deity of Christ. When I fell down after seeing the, 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 the scars in his hands, I said, my Lord and my God. I went and preached the message. I was a martyr. I was run through with spears. Why do I have to be known that way? And yet still we call him Thomas Doubting Thomas. It was no different for our heroine of the faith. It, it, with Rahab in the Old Testament, Joshua 6.17, only Rahab the harlot shall live. In Joshua 6.25, Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive. Hebrews In the New Testament, Hebrews 11.31, our text, by faith the harlot Rahab. James 2.25, James lifts her up as an example of good works. And this is what he says, likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works. It seems unkind, doesn't it? And doesn't it seem unfair? Shouldn't she be able to move on from her old life? And I began to wonder, God, what are you doing to this lady? This is your book. What, what are you doing? Are you rubbing her nose in her sin? But I don't think God does that. I think when he forgives, he forgets. I think when he forgives, he buries it in the sea, in the, uh, in the sea of his forgetfulness and he casts it as far as east is from the west. So God, what are you doing to this woman? And I started to think, maybe there's something good about these labels. Maybe there's something we can learn 
about the labels we wear in our lives that there's some good to them. And I got three things for you. Don't you love a three-point outline? It gives you hope that it's going to be really short, right? He's already got one done. Only two-thirds left, right? I could spend an hour on the last point. You'd never know, but it gives you hope on the, at the onset, doesn't it? Number one, I won't be long, folks. You, keep, you stay with me. You're doing good tonight. Number one, what's the benefit of these labels in our life? Why didn't God just let us escape them, huh? Number one, it helps us mortify the flesh. In other words, it reminded her where she came from. Isn't that what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 51, 1 and 2 when he told the children of Israel? He said, don't forget the rock from whence ye are hewn. He said, Israel, don't forget where you came from. Hey, that's how it worked in the life of the Apostle Paul. You remember 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 9 and 10. Paul said this. He said, for I am the least of the apostles. Wait a minute. If any man had occasion to glory in gifts, in zeal, in knowledge, it would have been the Apostle Paul. Yet, listen to the humility of his speak. He says, for I am the least of the apostles. How did he get such humility? That I'm not meet to be called an apostle. Why? Because in my past, I persecuted the church of God. Because of what I was. My label. I was the church wrecker. He says, but the grace, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace was bestowed upon me. It was not in vain. But I labored. Listen, look at this. Because of the label. He said, I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. In Paul's case, it made him mortify his flesh. It humbled him and it motivated him. Knowing what he was and knowing what he had done was wrong. He said, I labored more abundantly because I had a debt to pay. It helped him mortify his flesh lest he be exalted above measure in Rahab's case she had an insolent past her name means proud she came from a proud race of people she had an idolatrous past she had been brought up among an idolatrous Canaanite people God hated their idolatry so much he said I want you to destroy them all wipe them out she had an immoral past God washed this away but it was still good for her to be reminded you say how do you know Rahab remembered her past you ever read the book of Ruth isn't it beautiful that kinsman redeemer in Boaz. I just finished the book of Ruth. I'm on, man. I'm, I'm almost done with 1 Samuel. Uh, but I, I was loving and I was enjoying my time uh, that day I spent in Ruth. And I saw Boaz. Do you see how tender and kind he is to Ruth? It even surprises her. She says, why hath my Lord dealt with me thus? Why have I found favor in thine eyes? I'm just a labeled woman. I'm just an outsider. Folks, you get to reading in the genealogies. Look in Matthew 1. You want to know who Boaz's mama was? It was Rahab. And I like to think that Boaz looked at that woman and he said she's labeled and she's an outsider. But I think playing in his head, he remembered what his mama had taught him. And she said, son, don't you ever treat a woman like I allowed men to treat me. And son, don't you ever be unkind to a stranger because that's what I was. And I think because a mama didn't forget where she came from, we have a son in Boaz that's a picture of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ our kinsman redeemer because a mama didn't get bitter about her label but she used it to help her family be what, she, what God wanted it to be for God oh listen to me 
It helps us mortify our flesh. Secondly, it helps us, I like this, it helps us measure the grace of God in our lives. How do you know how far you've come if you don't remember the point of origin? If I came to you tonight and say, how many miles did you drive? You'd tell me how many miles. I'd say, how do you know that? Well, because I started here and I ended up there. That's how I know how far I've been. And can I tell you, we got a lot of arrogant Christians stick their noses up in the air. They drowned if it snowed too much, amen? They got their nose stuck up in the air. And folks walk in that don't smell right, don't look right, don't act right, don't have it all together. And you think, oh, well, uh, you know, uh, you, you just don't have it all figured out. You're not as good as I am. And what are you doing here? Brethren, you need to remember, what, wake up and remember where you came from. You need to measure God's grace in your life. I've got men in our church there in Pinyon. They can tell you how many years it's been since they took a drink. They can, some of them can tell you down to the month. I've got two guys that tell me down to the day the last time they drank a lick of alcohol. So what are they doing, Brother Joel? Are they glorying in that past? No. You, you think they're pining for that? No, no, no. They count every day because when they remember how far God's brought them, it gives them an occasion all the more to praise God for His immeasurable grace and His mercy that's new every morning to say, Whoa, hey, I've got another day I didn't drink. Another day I know my name. Another day with my family. Another day off the streets. And because they remember where they came from, they measure it. They never lose the humility or the fire and excitement of what God's done in their life. Well, I worry about somebody asking him, you saved? Yeah, I think. When'd you get saved? Oh, let me think about it. You kidding me? You kidding me? You say, ah, Brother Joel, you grew up in a Christian home. What do you got to measure God's grace in your life? I had a preacher tell me one time, he said, you can't appreciate your salvation the way I do, Brother Joel. He said, God saved me out of a life of drunkenness. And I told him, I said, brother, hell burns just as hot for a church kid that's lost as it does for a harlot. And you say, oh, you, you don't know anything about it. Hey, you can't appreciate your salvation like I can. Brethren, it's not about what God saved me out of, but he sure saved me from the same things he saved you out of. Folks, I'm telling you today, you're looking at, I'm so happy I'm saved, I can't hardly stand it. And I'll match shout for shout, smile for smile, praise for praise with any old drunk, any old drug addict, any old bar hopper, because I know what my God saved me from. Hey, I remember growing up. Now listen, I got a rough testimony. Really rough. I got saved when I was four. Before that, I was behind bars, on and off the bottle. And then at four, the Lord saved me. Amen. Church kids, spice it up a little bit. I'm glad God allowed me to be raised in a Christian home. I remember growing up on the reservation. I remember two boys come up to me, Aldi and Daryl. I can see their faces in my mind. They walked up, they said, Hey, Joel, let's go smoke in the outhouse. Now, smoking's stupid, but it's double stupid in an outhouse. Now, let your mind run wild with why. I remember going hiking with my buddy Jedediah. Remember, we went over some hills and, man, it was kind of a, it was kind of late in the day and we were hot and we were sweaty. And he said, my uncle's house is just over the hill. Navo's point with their lips, saves wear and tear on the finger. And he said, my uncle's house, just over the hill, over there. If we go over there, he says, he'll give us some, 
uh, uh, some sodas and he'll give us some candy. And I thought, man, I mean, I'm a missionary's kid. If it's free, it's for me. I said, let's go to the uncle's house. We took the hike over there and his uncle had his bootlegger visiting him. It's illegal to possess or sell alcohol on the reservation. So guys truck it in, backpack it in to people that can't go get it for themselves. We walked in there. I stood on the outside. Jedediah walked in. He came out. He says, hey, they want to talk to you. I stepped inside this little dirt floor house and I saw three men. One was his uncle. One was a bootlegger. I don't know who the other fellow was. But they looked and they said, hey, you're that missionary. Mark, that's your dad, right? Aren't you his son? And I said, yeah, that's me. And he pulled out a can of beer. He said, I bet you never drunk one of these before. And I said, no, I haven't. And he, he said, uh, here, pull out a hundred dollars. He says, that's yours if you drink it. He says, you don't even have to finish your one drink. The other fellow started laughing. He pulled out a wad of cash. I don't know how much it was. He put it on the table. He says, here, one drink. He says, his money and my money, yours. And they started laughing. Say, what's the big deal about that? Every chain smoker started with the smoke. Every drunkard started with one drink. I remember being in a, I remember being in a, 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 a little tent and we were having a vacation Bible school and this gal, uh, uh, from Kansas came with the church group and she's sitting behind me and we're singing Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. And she's sitting behind me. She leans up. I was about 12 years old. She leans up into my ear and she says, Hey, Hey, tonight, after everybody's asleep, come sneak over to my tent. Come sneak over to my tent. Every teen dad, and listen, every loose womanizer, you know where he begins? Sleeping with one person he's not married to. But I thank God. I grew up in a family where they taught me the Bible. And my mother, man, she used to always tell, she'd say, now my mother's very southern. She's from San Angelo, Texas. And so when she said, my name's Joel, one syllable, Joel, Joel. But not if you're from San Angelo, Texas. It's two syllables and has a W in the middle. She'd say, now Joel, you save yourself, Joel. Because God's got somebody special for you. My dad used to take me We'd go there to Maloney Street in Gallup, New Mexico. We'd walk by the guys and we'd smell the urine on their pants and we'd smell the puke their faces were lying in. We'd walk by a can of beer and my dad would say, stomp on that can, Joel. And I'd stomp on I'd stomp on that can of beer. And he'd say, where's that from? That's from the devil, daddy. That's from the devil. We'd see a cigarette and he'd say, where does the fire that lights cigarettes come from, Joel? I'd say, from hell, daddy. From hell. I'd stomp on that cigarette. And I remember when I was sitting in that tent and I heard that little hussy of a gal make that offer to mess up my life. All I could hear was, Joel, God's going to do something special with you. And you save yourself for the one that God's got for you. And then when those, hey, when those boys, they say, come smoke in the outhouse. All I could hear was, it's from hell, daddy. It's from hell. When those fellas offered me that can of beer, all I could remember was stomping on those beer cans. And I look back time and time again, when the devil came after me and he wanted to ruin my life, I, th- I look back, I measure God's grace and I say, God, how 
How'd you get me out of that mess? How'd you protect me? How'd you save me for that beautiful wife so I could have those boys and serve you in ministry? And you know what it does? It makes me shout all the way home what God's done in my life. And I'll not shout for shout any man that enjoys his salvation tonight. I'm telling you, I can measure the grace of God in my life no matter where he brought you from. That's what this woman's doing. She's remembering what God did. How he took her from the law, he took her from the lineage of the condemned and he put her in the lineage of Christ. He took her from the loneliness of harlotry to the love of a husband named Salmon. He took her from the iniquity of Canaan to the inheritance of Israel. He took her from a living death to an abundant life. I like to think when you start looking and measuring the grace of God in people's life, I like to think about those sons of thunder. You remember them? James and John? Remember when Jesus comes into that Samaritan village and they wouldn't receive him? And then, I mean, they're independent Baptists. You know James and John are independent Baptists. They said, God, shall we call out fire from heaven and consume them? I'm reading my Bible saying, yeah. You ever read the epistles of 1st and 2nd and 3rd John? You know what you'll hear over and over again? My little children love one another. Love is of God. I start looking, I think, what happened to the son of thunder? You know what's happened? God's grace has been working in his life. It's been changing him. It took him from something God didn't want him to be. And it made him something that God could use. And that God would like. And we come to our third point. Yes, you have made it to the checkered flag. Point number three. Not only does it help us, these labels we wear to mortify our flesh. To measure the grace of God in our lives. But this is my favorite. It helps us magnify our hope. Go with me to Matthew chapter 1. Let's go there together. Oh, you've got to see this in black and white in your own Bible. Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 5. You know what's in Matthew chapter 1, don't you? We're headed to the lineage of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 1, chapter 1 verse number 5. Oh, I love this. I love this. Get there. Go sword drill style. I give you a piece of candy if you get there first. Amen. Get there quick. Matthew chapter 1. I want you to look here with me. Let's, yeah, let's, let's start right there, verse number 5. Now, folks, I'm telling you, I'm looking up all these verses with Rahab, and I get to this one, and I got a little upset because I thought God was messing up my whole sermon. I said, Lord, thanks for messing up the message with the Bible. The Bible says, And Salmon begat Boaz, that's Boaz, of Rahab. That's Rahab. Do you notice anything missing? No harlot. It, it, get, it get, gets worse. I, I mean, if I thought that was bad for the message, look, look at what it does next. And Boaz begat Obed of Ruth. No Moabitess. So I scratched my head and I said, God, what are you doing here? You hadn't brought me all this way just to mess it all up. And this is what I began to realize. This is the first time Rahab is introduced as a man's bride. Some of you look at me saying, big deal. No, it is a big deal. Because when she's introduced as a man's bride, 
the label fell off. Folks, listen to me. It magnifies our hope one day. My Lord's coming back for me. And guess what? I'm going to be part of a bride. I don't think I'm pretty enough to be a bride, but the Lord's going to put me in it. I'm going to be part of a bride when He comes for me. And you know what it means? When the Lord comes back and when I get there, there's no more harlots and there's no more Moabitess and there's no more drunkard and there's no more divorced person and there's no more drug addict and there's no more whatever it is you once were before you got saved. We'll be known as He is known. We shall be like Him. We'll see Him as He is. And can I tell you, in that day, there'll be no... No more labels. Magnum gets me looking forward to the day he comes back because I won't bear those labels anymore. You say, Brother Joel, I get it. I understand in the mind of Christ, I'm already seated in heavenly places. He doesn't look at me with the label. But I don't have a glorified mind and I still remember. Remember what I've done, what I've been. In the meantime, instead of letting what you were be a hindrance and something that holds you back from serving God, let it be something to help you, to mortify your flesh, to give you occasion to praise God by measuring His grace in your life. And let it be something that helps you to watch for His glorious appearing, that magnifies the blessed hope we have as believers, that makes you anticipate His coming all the more. I'd like to finish by making a missions application. You say, it's missions conference. Why are you preaching this? This sermon was born out out of what I was seeing with my people on the reservation. This is your message as much as it is theirs, but listen to me. I saw a group of people, everybody thought they're scum. God sent me to Pinyon. Even Navos think Navos and Pinyon are scum. They'd been labeled. Meth heads. I got murderers sitting in my church. They still got files waiting to be prosecuted, sitting in a stack of files in Albuquerque, New Mexico. They've killed men. They've dealt drugs. They've done wickedly. The man that was preaching for me today, Anderson Begay. I sat down with him two weeks ago. I said, Brother Anderson, you sure have been faithful. I said, I want you to teach a Sunday school class. And he put his head down and began to weep. And he said, Pastor, I'm not worthy to do that. He said, I know I've told you the kind of man I was, but I haven't told you everything. He said, I don't deserve a chance to serve God that way. I told him, I said, brother, you're exactly who I'm looking for. And if you ever forget that you're dirt, and if you ever start thinking you're somebody, God won't be able to use you. But so long as you'll allow it to keep you low and humble, and as long as you use it as an occasion to praise Him, and as long as it'll make you long for His second coming, you're exactly who God's looking for. And I'm telling you, please, don't look at my people as a labeled people and say, ah, it can't be done with them. Hey, you had a label, and somebody loved you, and somebody gave you the gospel. Don't look past these labeled people. Reach them where they are. Invest in these missionaries. we got a brother coming later this week that's reaching Muslims. Hey, look past the label and see their souls and know that in the eyes of God all the labels are already stripped off. Let it mortify your flesh. 
Let it help you measure the grace of God in your life and help it magnify the hope that the Lord's coming back one day and all the labels of what we are are going to fall off. Let's stand together with heads bowed and eyes closed.